Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift, the Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Now streaming only on Disney Plus. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks, then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey guys, welcome back to Thick and Thin with me, Katie Bilotti. And first, I want to discuss the obvious, the fresh podcast artwork you're looking at right now as you listen. I hope you were able to find the podcast in your feed because it obviously looks a lot different now. I stuck with the same color palette as before. You'll notice even the very first batch of Thick and Thin artwork, this is the third rendition now. The first one that I had way back when I started had, you know, hints of this blush pink color, carried that into the second one, but added some red. And now we still have the red and the pink um, in this third one. So you'll notice it's very different, obviously, from the previous two. I'm definitely one of those people that, you know, for my podcast for Thick and Thin, I just have never seen it as being something with my face on the cover of it. Not to say other people that do that, you know, there are any different from me and like, or any less than me or anything like that. Um, but I just, I don't know. I just didn't see that for thick and thin. I just saw it to be something that's more, you know, focused on things besides me. I don't know how to really articulate it, but I just never really saw that for the design. So I wanted to do something that was, you know, still had a human quality to it that wasn't my face. And so I don't know what it was. It was a mix of me being obsessed with Bridgerton and just in general Regency era. I've always loved the Regency era. Um, and, you know, the past, you guys know, of course, I love my history. So I wanted to take that and blend it with something very modern and as you guys know, dirty martinis are just symbolic for me. They are just me in a nutshell. Um, a dirty martini is like just the cure to a bad day for me. I'm just obsessed with them. As you know, they were incorporated into the last artwork as well. So I thought it'd be cool to mesh my love for the past and the Regency era. There's, you know, we are kind of our spin on a Regency era gown and then a martini in hand, and it's a cocktail of the past and present. And a little bit more about the artwork itself. So obviously, I am very artistic, but not not like this skilled in the sense of like, you know, making something look superhuman. And especially with oils, I'm not extremely talented in that regard yet. So I enlisted the help of a dear friend of mine, Siri Devlin. I'll have her art account linked in the description of this episode so you guys can check her out. Um, but she helped me with this. Basically, I put together a really like a hodgepodge, total just spill of my brain onto a page, like little sketch situation 
because I had this idea kind of brewing in my mind. It was one of those things where I was, you know, asleep and then I was kind of doing that thing where I'm like drifting off, but I'm like going through a mental list of all the things I need to do. And for months I'd been wanting to revamp the artwork because I just thought it was a little bit, it just doesn't really, you know, the previous artwork was great. I just don't think it really encompasses all that Thick and Thin is. And when you look at it, you don't really know what the podcast was about at all. So I wanted it to be a little bit more obvious because people do judge books by their cover. So in the middle of the night, I rolled over, grabbed my phone, and started furiously typing a note of this idea that I just had forming in my head. I really wanted it to be a a true mix of past and present in an obvious way that wasn't too obvious, you know? (laughs) It's kind of like one of those like oxymoron, like, you know, what do I actually want to accomplish here? But yeah, so I gave these scattered ideas, handed them over to my friend Siri, and she was able to create this beautiful hodgepodge of my ideas mixed with hers and the colors. And, you know, she just did an incredible job. So thank you so much to Siri for this beautiful artwork. It's going to carry with us hopefully for a long while. I'm going to try to be satisfied with this design. It's a beautiful design, but I'm definitely one of those people that wants to rebrand myself like every few months. I'm like sick of whatever font I chose for something or whatever, you know, color palette. And I'm just always wanting to rebrand myself and change up my feed. And like, I just can't be satisfied. And that's kind of a bad thing because, you know, I I know as a graphic designer, brand recognition is important. So having something consistent that people see and remember and associate with you, like colors, fonts, it's important. But I'm just so indecisive with things. And I feel like it all goes back to when I was a kid and I did this thing like every three months where I wanted to completely flip my room around and change it and, you know, redecorate and redecorating AKA like move my bed to a different corner and flip. I had this, um, I'm like laughing thinking about how ugly it was now, but I had this double-sided comforter that you could flip over. I think it was from like PBT or something. And you could flip it over and it would be a different, you know, color scheme. And so I would do this every few months and like completely redo my room and put a a new room tour up on YouTube. And in actuality, all I did was just like move around existing things and steal things from my mom's room or the basement. Like my mom always got these like random things. She worked in this, um, like this, I don't know what it was called now, but she sold, it was like one of those like, you know, mom's club things where they like get together in the neighborhood and they like... You know, it sounds like one of those pyramid schemes, but it's like not. Um, And they like sell, you know, little cups and mugs and, you know, um, decor objects. And so my mom just had a million like decor things like tchotchkes. Julia, my roommate slash best friend, calls all my little knickknacks that I have tchotchkes. So I've started calling them that too. I don't really know what that means. But anyway, so I would go in the basement, explore down there and pull things into my room that just like did not scream like I am a 17-year-old girl. But yeah, that definitely uh, has been brought into my adult life where I feel like I want to change things every few months. I mean, I posted on my Instagram story last night and a lot of you guys were shocked by this, but my apartment in LA, um, you know, when I was moving out, it all happened very fast and it seemed that way on social media, but it was also that way in real life. I tend to do a lot of things very fast and very split split decision, like, you know, uh, crunch time. I work very, very good under pressure, I would say, um, for someone that is often under pressure, I feel like, in all the things that I choose to do, um, timing wise. So as I was moving out of my LA apartment, I made the decision, I was kind of, you know, evaluating, cause I was across the country, right? So like I have to move across the U S which is not, you know, a short distance at all. So I had the choice of whether 
I wanted to ship all my furniture, like every single piece that I had so carefully curated to fit this very large room that I had in LA. So I could either ship everything across the country or, you know, on like a truck sort of thing, or I could sell a bunch of it and make the money back because a lot of it was, you know, brand new and people will pay for brand new things, like basically the same price you got it for, especially if they are on back order, which a lot of my things ended up being on back order at the time I was selling them. So people, you know, would prefer to just buy something used than wait four months to get something from Urban Outfitters, you know. So anyway, what I decided to do, because I was evaluating the prices of all these things, and it's super expensive to ship things across the country, I've learned. I mean, I've done it twice in six months now, so it's a pretty penny for sure. And so what I ended up doing was, you know, deciding which things I absolutely needed, like I really, really wanted to keep with me or things that I could part with and ideally just, you know, make the money back for. So what I ended up doing was I sold everything, literally everything, except for one dresser that I had in my New York apartment that I love from Urban Outfitters. It's like this gorgeous um, reclaimed wood sort of thing. It like, it looks very vintage, but it's not. Um, but the wood is real and each piece looks different. It's one of those sorts of things with like a really interesting wood grain to it. So I had to keep that, simply had to. And then I also kept a little side table that I'd gotten from Home Goods. Actually, my mom got it for me as a gift like a couple of years ago. So I needed to keep that as well. But every single other piece, guys, I got rid of. <laughs> Call me a minimalist, but I literally got rid of everything else besides my clothes and, you know, some of my tchotchkes that I just simply had to keep with me, obviously, because I am a big tchotchke person, apparently. I didn't even know what that word was, but I hope it's not offensive. I hope <laughs> I just like started saying it. I hope it's okay. Um, but anyway, so I ended up selling literally everything. Like, can you believe it? And so I, you know, I'm definitely one to want to start fresh and I'm comfortable with it. A lot of you guys were so devastated to hear that I sold my little baby couch from Cardiel that was like a cool boucle material. And then is this boucle? I think it is boucle. I have this thing where I, I read words and I end up saying them totally wrong when I like say them out loud, you know? Anyway, so that little couch was, you know, something you guys really loved and I'm really sorry. It was very hard to part with it. Okay. I'm telling you, it was like, I had to, you know, basically get it ripped out of my hands because I was so in love with it. So that, and then I also sold my desk, my desk chair, my bed, my side tables, my other Urban Outfitters dresser, like so much stuff, guys, the rug, like everything. <laughs> so I really am starting fresh. I think in this new chapter, it is good for me. Also, I was able to luckily make basically all the money back because some of the things I ended up selling for more than I bought it because people were, it was like a bidding war. Okay. People love my stuff on Facebook Marketplace in Los Angeles. So that um, is a long-winded tangent of how I love starting fresh. I love starting over. And, you know, even in your adult life, you're allowed to do all these things and have these childlike tendencies where you want to, you know, move around your room every three months or you want to move around your life every three months. Like it's totally normal to be like that. Kind of leading into topic number two on today's episode – um, today's going to be a total heart spill episode, so no history segments in this episode. If you guys want to hear a story from history, check out last week or the, the week prior, or I guess two weeks prior from that one, and then three weeks and on. I have so many historical stories, but today I want to do a heart spill episode. A lot of you guys said in the DMs that you miss when I just talk about my life and I'm just open with you guys, so I want to do that more often. Um, I do love my stories and I will not stop telling them, but I just wanted to do a little touch base with you guys because um 
few episodes ago was a little heavy, uh, so I wanted to bring some light, bring some truth. Okay, so I was on Instagram the other day and I saw this post. So it's from Rachel Elizabeth Cargill, and she's a Black American author, speaker, activist. She writes for some major publications like Harper's Bazaar, etc. And she wrote this little, it looks like a Facebook post that she reposted to Instagram, but it says, I wish people continued to ask me, what do you want to be when you grow up? I still have so much life to grow up into, but now in my 30s, I have much more context for what kind of life I'd like or what type of human I want to be in our shared community. Asking 32-year-old me, what do you want to be when you grow up? I now would certainly say, I want to be well, I want to be rested. I want to be satisfied. I want to be a good listener. I want to be giggly. I want to be expectant. I want to be grounded. I want to be surprised. I want to be romanced. I want to be abundant. I want to be curious. I want to be patient. I want to be free. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good, and then a bang in the night, and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home, and I can tell you... I know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. So I read that on like Saturday, maybe Friday, and it was the perfect thing to go into the weekend with, especially a weekend at home where you don't have any like fun plans necessarily besides drinking wine and watching House Hunters with my parents, which honestly, love it. It's one of my favorite things to do. But I read that and I was like, wow, you know what? I mean, I'm not 32, obviously I'm 25, but still I feel the time has come and gone for me to be asked the question, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? Because, you know, I don't know the average age of the human lifespan. I think it's like, I don't know. I hope personally, I hope to live to 90, you know, if it's, if it's meant to be, but I, I feel like I have, you know, what, 70 years kind of 70, 65 years, give or take. Of course, time is not guaranteed. No one knows how much time they have, but if all goes to plan or like my my loose plan, you know, I have so much life left to live. Why do people stop asking you what you want to do? I mean, I guess they give you the question like, what do you want to do in the next five years or what's your five-year, 10-year growth plan? But they don't ask you, you know, what do you want to be in the sense of like just personally, you know, vibes-wise, priorities-wise, not work, you know, not goals and like how many 
how much money I want to make or how many followers I want to have. Like, what do I want to be like in the future? What does future Katie look like? And, you know, reading that just made me think about how as children and even in elementary, middle, you know, as we grow, but are still technically considered young adults. I was actually shocked recently to learn. <laughs> like, I just, I don't know why, but I was sitting on the couch the other night and I was, you know, seeing the news and it was like, Biden says that by end of May, all adults will be vaccinated in the U.S. or something like that. That's his goal. And I was like, wait, dad, am I an adult? And I, I don't know why I asked the question. I don't know why, because obviously I know I'm an, an adult because over 18 is an adult, but I, you know, just was watching like TikToks all day and like on social media, I'm trying to acquaint myself with TikTok. I kind of like, you know, threw it to the side for a while because I thought it was just so addictive, but there is a lot of potential on there for brands and, you know, being a brand strategist myself, I need to be in that. And so I was on there all day and I was looking at all these like 16 year old girls bopping around. I'm like, wait, they look to me, they look like adults to me, but they're also children. You know, the concept of what does it mean to be an adult and why do people stop having faith in you, you know, or having faith that you can change and you can evolve? Because I feel like once you hit a certain age, if you haven't, you know, if you're still, this is just me, you know, talking because I'm, I'm sitting at home with my parents, obviously, and don't take any offense to this. But, you know, if you're sitting at home with your parents and you're, you know, you haven't left the house yet, like, does that make you any less of an adult? Does it make you any less of a successful person? And I think time and age all of that, you know, is a certain construct that I think a lot of us put more weight into than is necessary because like I said, you know, I have all of these years and like, you know, like that author said in that post I just read, you know, we have so many years and I wish people would ask us more often, like, what do you see yourself doing? Like in terms of just your personality, your persona, what you value and just you, your essence, you know, not your goals necessarily, but your essence, like what do you see yourself evolving into? Because you can be different, okay? You can choose to be different any day. You can choose to wake up one morning and be like, you know what, I'm going to stop being sensitive or, if I, you know, or as sensitive being sensitive is not a bad thing, but you know, I want to be more outspoken. I want to be this, I want to be that. And you can have those goals for yourself essence wise. And I think more people should ask those sorts of questions and less, you know, like how much money do you expect to make in the next five years? Or like, what is your next career goal? Things like that. So I just wanted to express that here because, you know, I feel like we all have that inner child and that, you know, past version of ourselves that we want to make proud. And I think that the best way to do that is to continue to cater to that inner child and ask questions like, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? Because people stop asking that. Like, when is when is it, you know, when was the last time we heard that, I guess, before we had to decide? Like, why do we expect so much from, from children, you know, before, well, I guess, you know, when I graduated high school, uh, well, when I graduated college, I wasn't, I was an adult. Yeah, I was over 18. Duh. I graduated college as how old was I? I was 18, 19, 20, like 22-ish, I guess. And so by that point, I am an adult, but you know, I was expected to make my whole life choice by the time I graduated. You know, by the time I crossed that graduation stage, it was one of those things where it was like an unspoken, like, you need to know what job you're gonna do, or you need to at least know the industry. And I literally crossed the stage, had this job, you know did that for a year and a half. And then I was like, see ya, I'm exploring this whole other side of me 
And, you know, I didn't know that I was going to do that when I crossed the stage at graduation. I didn't know I was going to do that even three months before I did it. You know, timing is different for everyone. You should never be ashamed of your timing and how long it takes you to do one thing or another because everyone's journey is so different. Some people really start at 35 and that's totally fine. Like career-wise, I mean, it doesn't matter your timing as long as you are acting very true to yourself and to what you want your essence to be. So keep asking yourself and other people, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be known for? What do you want to be in terms of when you're interacting with other people or even yourself, your family, whatever, what do you want to be known for? What do you want your essence to be? So yeah, that's good to ask yourself. I just wanted to start with that. And then I'm going to lead into, in this episode, um, a heart spill. So as I do on here periodically, I just want to answer a bunch of questions you guys had for me and just be totally raw and real with my answers. Uh, Things like, what has been my biggest personality change since graduating? Tips for moving to New York? Do I regret doing Greek life? What's on my wish list right now? Thoughts on designer bags? Um, Am I dating? Things like that. I just kind of skimmed the questions list and read all those things. That's kind of the order I'm going to go in. So yeah, I'm just going to answer a bunch of questions and just give you guys a little window into my soul. How about that? Okay. So the first question I'm going to answer, what has been your biggest personality change since graduating college? Okay. So I have a few things that I did way too much of in college. First and foremost, people-pleasing. I was obsessed with what other people thought of me. I still have a little bit of that hanging behind and I'm working on getting rid of it altogether and focusing more on what I think of me and how I am, you know, personally proud of myself, etc. I had this thing where I really wanted to make other people proud of me. I wanted to make other people see me and not think of me as invisible like I was in high school and all those things. So I definitely was a people pleaser. I would jump off a bridge if one of my friends or a boy told me to and do a backflip (laughs) as I'm jumping because I wanted to be seen. I wanted to be appreciated. Yeah, it's sad to admit that, but I've definitely care a lot less about that. Um, I wouldn't say I I don't care at all, but I care significantly less than I did in college. And, you know, in that same grain, I also was obsessed with pleasing boys. And, you know, I was, it just put all my importance as a person in the hands of men. And I hated that. (laughs) Looking back, well, I loved it at the time because I loved attention. But looking back, I was definitely struggling with that and comparing myself to every other girl on campus and going to Elon University where I went to college, there was so many girls. We had a 60-40 ratio, which I believe by the time I graduated was like a 70-30 in the sense of like so many more girls than guys. So guys paraded around campus like they were the bee's knees all the time because they had so much attention from girls. And if one girl didn't give them what they wanted, they would move on to another girl that looked exactly the same or was very similar looking and seeming, but would give them what they wanted. Sounds sad, but it is true. That is college. Okay. So I care a lot less about what people think. Basically, (laughs) that's like the biggest personality change. But I also, I mean, I think a few other things like I have more of a routine now, like I am more of a routine based person. I do things on time. I am not so much of a procrastinator. I feel like procrastinating was kind of glamorized in college. It was like glamorous to be a total disaster. And so, you know, like be a hungover mess, like showing up late to things and being like, oh, I'm such a mess. Like I think it was kind of oddly, oddly, very weird, but like kind of glamorized. So I'm glad that I do that less. And I also just, 
I gossip less. I give in to rumors a lot less. I just have so much less drama now. But in a nutshell, it's how I've glowed up since graduating. Second question, tips for moving to New York City post-grad or basically any big city. Okay. So this question, I have so many things I could say. I'm going to try to keep it concise. You guys know how much I adore New York City. I'll be back soon, I think. I have this feeling that's like kind of brewing in my stomach saying like, you know, I, I need to be there again. Being home in Maryland has reminded me of that because I, in my room here, like I, I keep everything, guys. I'm such a, a hoarder. Aside from the fact that I got rid of all my furniture in LA, I keep a lot of mementos, okay? Like I'm, I'm not one to keep furniture for a while, but I'm one to keep little like tidbits, ripped out things from, you know, pages of places I've been and postcards and photo strips from random bars and receipts and things. Like I keep things like that. I don't know why, but I just like like the memento energy. I, you know, came home to Maryland and I have cork boards in my room and I have all these little like mementos from New York in there. And oh my gosh, guys, when I tell you I was transported, I was. As soon as I walked in my room, I was like, wow, I need to be back in New York. <laughs> so we're working towards that. Um, no updates yet, but we're working towards it. So tips for moving to New York. <laughs> Let's actually answer the question, shall we? So number one thing that I would suggest, this is of course, like if it's possible, these things are all like, if it's possible, for you to do these things, do these things. Number one, try to stay away from ground floor apartments. Try to get up as high as you can um, if you have an elevator. If not, like be realistic about how many floors you want to walk up each day. I've always hovered around the like third floor range in the sense of like that's how many floors I will walk up if there's no elevator. But it's important to stay as high up off the ground as you can uh, because of mice, you know, mice, rats, the New York critters. There are quite a few of them <laughs> lurking around. And in my first Hell's Kitchen apartment, I had a serious mouse problem, which was just really not fun. I got to tell you, there's a few things that just really aren't fun about New York. And one of them is the vermin. So the mice, I had a few different mice encounters. I had roaches in that apartment. Oh my God. Ugh. Gosh, I just can't. I love the pre-war apartments. That's why I have this problem because I always, I love charming apartments with like original brick and things like that over a super polished modern apartment. I would choose that any day. So that was definitely a struggle. So try to stay away from the ground floor because I find the closer to the ground you are, the worse it is. So yeah, there's definitely a lot of ground floor apartments on the market right now. I know because I always scour street easy like every day. I'm like always on there. So just try to stay away from them. I know the prices are great. And so if you can't, you know, do what you got to do. But that being said, you know, second thing, I think if you are looking at an apartment, you notice there's a lot of little holes around. Get someone in there to fill them before you move in, before you move in all your furniture. I put something over top of a potential entrance for these things. So if you are on like a third floor or anything below that and you're worried about mice or just general, like my next place, I don't even know or care what floor it's on. I'm going to get someone to come in beforehand and do this because it is life-changing just having someone fill all the potential holes that things could come in. So this is the less glamorous side of New York City living, but it's real life. So fill all the holes in your apartment, no ground floor if you can. Also, um, safety-wise, these are all like the not glamorous things, but safety-wise, have pepper spray in your purse at all times, okay? Pepper spray is so important. I have it in my purse. In LA, I had it in my purse too. Like I just always do. I always have it. I'm not afraid to use it. Yeah. Pepper spray is key. You can get it on your keychain. I have a bedazzled one that my mom got me for Christmas. So definitely have that. Also, if you are choosing an apartment, I recommend finding 
a place that's close to a subway line that you know how to use and you like it goes places you actually that's useful to you, like work or your friends or bars or whatever when things are open. So be close to a subway line because again, my first apartment in New York City, I was not near any relevant subway lines and it was so tricky for me to get anywhere. I had to basically either walk like 30 minutes or take a car, which, you know, adds up. So try to be close to a subway line. Also in that same kind of grain, be close to a grocery store too, because a lot of times you're going to be carrying your groceries or taking the subway if you want. But for the most part, I like to make sure that I'm in like a three block, maybe five max, but like try to be like in a three block distance from the grocery. Cause like I, you know, I'll put one bag in one hand, the other, maybe a backpack, like, but you got to be close to a grocery. It's important. Two fun things though, <laughs> tips for moving to New York. Definitely set aside time each week to go sit in a park. There's so many parks in New York. Go sit in a park and just put your phone in your, your purse for like an hour and people watch because New York City people watching is the best kind. There are so many interesting dressed people. Like I love how people dress in New York. A lot of times they get a lot of inspiration that way, but also just, you know, taking taking it all in. It's really nice. Um, so definitely set aside time to do that each week, um, even when it's cold. Just bundle up. Last but not least, take advantage of the dollar slices. That is something that I miss most about New York is the dollar pizza slices. Just unbeatable. The best pizza you'll ever have. Like at all these places, I love Joe's. I love Prince Street. I love John's. But you can only get a pie there. You can't get a slice. So Joe's Pizza, best pizza place in New York. There's a bunch of locations, I think. I always go to the one in the West Village, but... I love pizza. Anyway, dollar slices, huge. Okay, third question. Do I regret doing Greek life in college? Okay, so we're back in college again. I'm sorry, I'm like flip-flopping around with these questions. Um, So do I regret doing Greek life? No, I don't regret it at all. I definitely think there's some toxic elements of Greek life and there's a lot that needs to change in Greek life, but I don't regret doing it because it really taught me the value of female friendships Female friendships are tough sometimes. There's a lot of competition, but when you find the sweet spot of see, you know finding people that really see you and really appreciate you, it's magic, okay? So Greek life was important to me. Um, also, not to mention the connections that you get post-grad. I've worked with fellow Zetas you know, from years, I'm, and Zeta Tel Alpha, that was my sorority. I've worked with, I've gotten hired in graphic design by alumni, by you know other, other Zetas, other Zeta, you know, sisters, I guess you'd call them. They're alumni, but they're my sisters, right? So I work with a lot of people from my sorority, which has been helpful in, you know, post-grad, but also I feel like there's just always someone around, especially living in the cities I've lived in. There's always Zetas around to call for help if I need something or, yeah, it's just a really awesome network that you carry with you. And girl friendships are so important. They also, they challenge you, they make you better, and they set you up with a network for life. So I loved being in a sorority. I also was social chair in my sorority. So I got acquainted with contracts and planning and things like that, which really has helped me in graphic design, honestly. Um, And working with vendors and understanding that really helped me also in my first job. So I loved Greek life. I really don't regret it at all. Okay. Next question. Can you see yourself living in Maryland someday like your parents? So this is hard. I, I don't think so. I don't see it for myself, but maybe I do. I don't know. I mean, I'm sitting here looking out at the water as I record this and I just, I love the nautical vibe of Maryland. I love my hometown in certain regards. You know, of course I had some, some not so fun memories here, but I really do love being home 
it feels comfortable to me. So maybe someday. I just don't know if I see that for myself though. Like Maryland at least. I do see a suburb later in life, but not necessarily Maryland. I don't know. I'm going to say unsure on that. I definitely want to try raising my kids in the city or in a city for maybe like the first or second year just to give them or give myself that experience. Like I think, of course, it's challenging, but I've loved following some bloggers that raise their kids in the city and seeing them evolve and just seeing how that is, you know, raising a child in the city. Like they definitely get to feel that. Like I, I even have friends that were raised in a city and they just are different than kids raised in a suburb and their priorities, their upbringing was just so different in a good way. So I don't know. I'm going to consider it. Okay. What is on your wish list right now? Okay. My two obsessions of the moment, I guess, like these are so separate, but just two things I've obsessed over like on Pinterest and on Instagram and like my saved folder on Instagram is ripe with these things. So first is Oh my God, it's one of those words I, I don't know how to pronounce. Okay, Bottega Vanita. I think that's how you say it, Bottega. Bottega bags, the new Bottega. I have so many of these bags bookmarked on Instagram and they're so freaking expensive. I just can't justify it. I, I really have a hard time spending money on expensive bags. The only one that I really have shelled out cash for was my YSL Manhattan bag, which is a big tote because... I wanted to bring it to work at L'Oreal every day and I needed a big bag and everyone at L'Oreal had really nice designer bags and I was like, I want to fit in. Classic, me, jumping over bridges for people. Anyway, but I really also wanted it and I wanted to treat myself to something nice because I never really invest in designer purchases. I, Whenever I do, I've regretted it and I've sold things. But the YSL Manhattan bag, I really do love. I'm going to unearth it from the archives. I haven't used it in over a year and a half, maybe. Yeah. In LA, I didn't use it. It wasn't really an LA bag. It's a very New York bag, hence why it's named the Manhattan bag. But Bottega Vanita bags, like I love the chain. I love how they look like little baby dumplings sometimes, or like I just love the, the look of them. So I definitely want maybe in the future, when I feel it's right, one of those bags. Specifically, I love the nude with the gold chain. It's just like beautiful, but I just, I can't justify it. I don't know why I can't let myself do it. I mean, they are like $3,000, which is just, I think that's absurd, but I also am not really a designer purchaser. So I feel like that maybe is typical, but I don't know. My other bag that I really do love um, that is kind of designer, I guess it's C by Chloe, which is Chloe's sister brand. That's more uh, realistic prices. So it's, it was only 500, which is still a lot for a purse. Don't get me wrong but I use it every single day and it's not $3,000. So I could justify that. You know, any more than that just feels kind of absurd to me personally. I, I'm here for people that shop designer, but I just, I don't know why I can't do it. I can't let myself do it. Meanwhile, I can let myself invest in like $3,000 couches that I sell in like two years, but I don't know. Anyway, Bottega Vanita, it's on my wish list, my like distant wish list. And then also separately, I've been watching a lot of, um, what's it called? Fixer Upper on HGTV. I love Chip and Joanna Gaines. My parents and I are obsessed with them and they do a lot of really fun shelf decor. So I'm thinking for my next apartment, I really want to focus on shelving and having really tasteful shelves with a lot of shelf like decor, like jugs and decorative coffee table books and things like that. I have a bunch that I've just made a list for future for posterity on my phone. And I just have really been scouring the internet for a really fun shelf decor. So those are things on my wish list right now. Okay. Next question. Are you taking a dating break? This is interesting. 
it's not intentional. Like I haven't been on a date in a very long time, but you guys know in, in New York, I was going on like two dates a week. I was obsessed with dating. It's not that I'm taking a break necessarily. I just feel a little bit less motivated right now. I think that's the best way to put it. For the first time in like ever, I just haven't felt motivated to date recently. I guess when you feel a bit lost yourself, it's kind of hard to feel confident going on a date and talking about yourself, you know, being interviewed basically, because that's kind of what dates are in a sense. It's like the other person trying to get a feel for you. And I don't feel that someone would feel connected to me right now if I'm feeling a little disconnected myself. You know, I'm still trying to figure out myself right now. I'm going through a rough patch, as I have said on numerous occasions. And I'm not ashamed of that by any means, but I think that in terms of dating, I just, it wouldn't make me feel good about myself right now, if that makes sense. So I'm kind of on a, a little bit of a break. I'm definitely still on the apps and stuff, but I haven't been on a full-fledged date in a long time. I couldn't even tell you how many months it's been. It's been a long time, but you know, maybe in the future, near future, distant future, who knows, I will get, you know, the love back for dating. So Okay, next question. Do you ever feel like you are too nice? How do you deal with people potentially taking advantage of you? Okay, this is tough because as I said in the first question, I definitely was a people pleaser in college, still am to a certain extent. I've tried to distance myself from that energy, but it's tough. It's really hard, especially when you know to a certain extent like what version of yourself pleases people the most, what people are most comfortable with, what people most... Uh, respond well to. Like I am a chameleon in the sense that I am very good at seeing what other people kind of want me to be. Like if I meet someone for the first time, I can kind of off the right off the bat tell what kind of person they want me to be. And that sounds toxic, okay? It does, but it, it's kind of, it's also good. I, I like that because it helps me read people better. And if I have control over myself in the sense of like how I want to be, I can distance myself from that right, right off the bat. Like I don't have to be that person that they, I know what they want me to be, but I don't have to be that person, if that makes sense. So do I ever feel though like I'm too nice? Yes, I do. Like listen to when I say this, I think people only get the power over you that you offer them. They only get as much power as you give them. Just let that sink in. Of course, sometimes I do think I am too nice, but people taking advantage of me? I don't, I don't know. I think that if I give them the power, then they, they have that over me. But I feel like I'm pretty good at having people think that I'm giving them power, but I'm not, if that makes sense. Here's how I've become less of a, a yes man, how I've become less of a people pleaser that says yes to everything. I give myself time physical time to mull over things. So if I get a text from someone and I have that sinking feeling in my stomach, like, oh, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go on a date with this person. I don't want to uh, work on this project because I'm overbooked right now or a number of things. I let it sit for a second. You don't have to give someone an answer right away. You don't have to answer emails right away. You don't have to answer texts right away. You don't have to. We're accustomed to think that time is of the essence and that we have to respond right away. You don't have to. No one thinks you do. Um, you think you do, but that's the pressure you're putting on yourself. So give yourself time to mull over the things at hand to see if you actually have the time. Question yourself, like, am I saying yes to this because I want to or am I saying yes because I feel obligated to? And then respond. So take a pause and then respond. 
a lot of times I've, I've learned is about myself that I say yes to prove things. Like I said earlier, I want people to feel that I'm cool and I'm able and I'm skilled and those things. But you saying no does not mean you are not those things. It just means that you are prioritizing yourself, your time, your energy, things like that. Okay, so <laughs> that answers that. Next question, folklore or evermore? This was a very tough one. I was thinking this over in my head. I think I have to go with folklore only because I just think about the place that I was in mentally, physically, when each of them came out. And I think folklore was in this very, I mean, both of them were, but folklore is in a pivotal point where I was, it was just this weird spot. I, I remember when it came out and I was sitting on an air mattress in my old New York City apartment, gearing up for my flight to LA. And I was sitting in an empty apartment. All I had was an air mattress and a fan. And I was just sitting there listening to it over and over again um, by myself because I was quarantining before I flew. And it was just such a different experience having nothing, no distractions, just listening to it. And it was Taylor's like very adventurous new vibe, you know, that she didn't have in the previous albums. And it was just spiritual for me to hear that. So folklore will always have a special place in my heart. And I really do love Invisible String. That song felt very relevant to me at the time. And it's just tough because I have a deep connection, I think, to like five songs on both albums. So if I could mash them together, it'd be perfect. Folklore, <laughs> you know? So I have to say folklore though. That was like my first instinct. So next question. This is the most creative question that I got. It's, yeah, the most creative question award goes to this one. You've been offered a Vogue feature. What is the photo style slash aesthetic? So I had like two separate things that just popped into my head when I heard this question for the first time. The first one would be standing in the middle of a prairie, like a, a very grassy, like neutral prairie, you know, wearing a flowing white dress, big, huge sun hat and like wellies or boots. Like that would be my first vibe. Very like, what's that photo vibe where it's kind of like, it looks like film, but it's also a little bit blurry. You know what I'm saying? So that sort of vibe. That would be number one. Or totally different, but like in a charming, dark, you know, woodsy cabin in the middle of the woods with a copper bathtub or something, something like that. And I'm wearing like denim, like all denim. That was the second vibe. <laughs> Those were my two concepts. That so Vogue, if you're ever looking to feature me in the near future, that's what I want to do. Next question. We're going back to the dating question. Advice on waiting for love to happen to you or actively searching, aka dating apps. I said this earlier, I love dating apps. I'm still on dating apps, even though I'm not going on dates right now, I'm still on the apps. And here's kind of why I like them in the best way possible. There's no like way for this to not sound a bit odd, but I feel like it's kind of like the equivalent to window shopping or walking into an apartment that you're touring when you have like seven other appointments that day or like taking a car to test run before you buy it or like before you buy another car or just like driving a fun car for the day. It's like there's lots of different analogies, but basically it's just very low risk. Like what do you have to lose? You have nothing to lose doing any of those things I just named. You know, it's just something that you're doing just to see, just to dip your toe into the giant pool, vast sea of dating potential. So I just think it's, it's very low risk. It's a no-brainer for people. It's a nice confidence booster also it's a good way to get yourself out there a bit with very low risk and a way to test out some of your best lines or your best 
just fun facts about yourself and see if people care. <laughs> like, I don't know. I just think it's just such a no-brainer. So I really like dating apps for that reason. And I think the confidence boosting is very important. You do feel when you get a like or whatever, like, of course, it maybe isn't the most healthy thing. Like, definitely feel it out if it's right for you. But for me, I just feel like it's a nice little confidence boost. And I like seeing what's out there in my given city. I like seeing who's walking around single, you know? So love dating apps, but I do think of course, it, to just going back to the question, of course, a lot of us would rather meet someone organically, but especially now it's very hard. It's very hard to do that. Even in normal times, it was hard to to do that. It was hard to go to a bar and like meet someone that, you know, wanted to date you, things like that. But I do want to share um, this story. I don't know why this just popped into my head, but um, I had a friend in LA who she met her boyfriend in a very organic way. It was very funny. So she was at not Coachella. I think it was like stagecoach or like some concert, outdoor concert. This is obviously normal times. And she was standing in the bathroom line for the porta potties. Okay, super glamorous, like not even a, a brick and mortar bathroom, like porta potties. She's standing, I guess, like in front or behind or like near this guy in line. And they are, oh, I guess they were like next to each other in line or something like that, like right in front or behind or whatever. And they were just talking about the lineup or something. Like she was talking on the phone to her friend and he turned around and was like, oh, like I heard this so-and-so is performing or whatever. It was just like a very casual line conversation. And she was like talking to him and was like, wow, like this guy, but didn't know if he had a girlfriend or whatever, what his deal was or anything. And so he goes into the bathroom, she goes in and then he like disappeared. And she was like, oh, well, that's, that's that. So she's walking around the concert venue or concert music festival, whatever you call it. She's walking around with her friends and she sees him. She's like talking to her friends. She's like, that's the guy from the line. And they're like, girl, you have to go talk to him. Like you have to go. You might lose him forever. So she like works up the courage to go talk to him. And from that moment on, they were inseparable at the music festival, did not leave each other's side. Now, and they started dating. She wasn't even living in LA at the time. He was in LA or something, or they weren't living in the same state. And so it didn't seem like it was going to last, but it did. And now they're living together in LA. <laughs> and I know there's a lot of like problems with stories like that because you're like, well, that doesn't happen to everyone. But it just goes to show that you can like, she was also like dating around, like, you know, on apps, doing things. Like it's a nice distraction while your story is is cooking up in the background, like revving up, you know, like something could happen to you in the next six months, next year, whatever, but there's no harm in just like getting yourself out there and getting, you know, working up your courage. If she hadn't had the courage to go talk to this guy that she had gotten from past boyfriends or past experiences and like, you know, it just wouldn't have happened, you know? So I just think it's important to put yourself out there in that way. <laughs> I don't know why I just decided to go off on that tangent, but I think that there's value in both things, waiting for love to happen to you. You can do totally or actively searching. And I think in the end, what is meant to happen will happen. Of course, there's some elbow grease involved, but I think what will happen is, is what is supposed to happen, if that makes sense, in your story, in the story of you. So yeah, guys. Okay. That was my long-winded q and I hope you guys are still here listening because that was a lot, but I just love spilling my heart every once in a while and just telling you guys... Um, just real stuff that I'm going through, real, real truths of mine and not stories for once. So hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Thick and Thin. Definitely tune in next week, next Thursday for another fresh episode of the pod. I always look forward to talking to you guys and yeah, I'll talk to you guys then. Bye.
You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.